Ryan, is this the intro? If you go down to the woods today, what are you going to get? Uh, something to do with bears? No, the next episode episode of the Comic Literate Podcast. You're really coming in really low energy for an intro. This is exactly how I wanted it to be. What, people checking their volume like, is this on? Is this on? Have I, have I played the podcast? You know the first episode of The Simpsons? Uh, the very first one, what, the Tracy Chapman show one, or the actual first individual like, s- soul Simpsons episode? Yeah, 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 where they made they made them yellow solely to make people fuck with the contrast on their TVs. Well, that was Tracy Chapman originally, I think, but I might be wrong about that, was but it? I'm pretty sure they were yellow then, yeah. Because they said, I think it was debuted on the Tracy Chapman show to be like, let's try this new show for like five minutes, see if it's like, well, it and then we'll do it. It was a bit, wasn't it? It was like yeah. a cartoon segment. Yeah. How are you then? I'm sorry, I thought you were going somewhere with the the Simpsons bit, wasn't it? Was was there a thing like no, the first there's episode? No thing. I'm just you, kind of you know. So did you just go out? So you just went, yeah, you know, like the first episode of the Simpsons, and I went, well, the Tracy Chapman show. You went, yeah, I went, yeah, and you went, so how are you? Well, you didn't go anywhere with it. <laughs> well, you know, you said, do you want people to like check the volume? And I was yeah. like, yeah, like the first episode oh, of the okay, Simpsons right, where they made everyone. Right. I, did, I, I did, didn't. I didn't connect the two once you got to that point. I didn't connect it back. I qualified to the... my fucking statement. I don't know what your problem is. Yeah, with like a mile. You've apart. come into this really spicy, <laughs> right? Because you were too low. I you had to bring you back to, up to my you level. You just need to wind your neck and it in worked. a little bit, <laughs> and it worked. Because now to... you're back up here where well, yeah, we both. It's because you're just talking over me, so I've got a fucking show. Exactly. That's what happens if you don't come in with the fire. Right. I'm done quitting. Fuck it. This ain't no ASMR podcast. Well, this is this is what I wanted. I think if you if you wanted creepy um, childhood rhymes, yeah, childhood rhymes said in a low, creepy voice, you could probably get that for free at the park at night. Not in this town. I mean, in this town, <laughs> there ain't no. Well, no, I imagine there are quite a few creepy park goers. I think every town has its own variety of creepy park goers and that's what makes life special you know i think we should scrap the comic book podcast and do a podcast like a travel podcast rape my weirdos yeah where we where we go to every town and we set up you sir you seem to be hanging out by the toilet tonight (laughs) what what are you doing (laughs) well no like i don't think we do that kind of primary research i think the primary research is just like hanging around in provincial town centers right and being like who are the local nutters who who are they? Like, yeah. what are their names? And yeah, like we do it journalist style. We both get like a like a leather trilby hat, right? And then we get little notebooks and pencils, and we just like go around English towns finding out who the nutters are. And then at what point do we say we're interviewing the town nutters? Like, <laughs> is it the start when we get them? Like, like I've done to you, like start you off on a on a on a trip or do we wait to the end and go oh what was that for oh we're just interviewing the local nutters sorry what i don't think we tell them that they're the nutters well at any point no i i think we give the podcast a really innocuous title that doesn't indicate anything that we're doing there and we interview them and we say by the way we're interviewing you for the nottingham restaurant guide podcast definitely not a nutter podcast yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely normal and then, completely 100 percent normal people podcast and then they and then they wait and then like they they go to the library because let's face it nutters don't have internet access and they go to their local library and they plug some headphones into the like windows xp computer that they have there and then they listen to the podcast and realize that they're the nutter those those guys lied to me. <laughs> I know why they're American now. Those guys lied to me. You know, something like what that. What the fuck was that accent? It was the what I imagine is the extreme opposite of American. <laughs> I love it. And for anyone who's wondering, 
who might have wandered in off the street uh, into this podcast. Uh, this is the Comic Literate podcast. Uh, where, yeah, I said. Did you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Where, at, did, at what point did you say? Because I don't think I was, I think I was taken aback by the, the it, if you come into the woods bit at the beginning. Well, yeah, I said, if you come into the woods today, what are you going to find? And I said, another episode of the Comic Literate uh, podcast. Yeah, I missed that. Because I was trying to think of like a funny thing to say in response to that. And I think I said my thing when you were saying the serious thing. Yeah, no, you, you kind of, you, you pissed on my bit. We're coming in from like two, we're both coming in hot from like two different angles. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's like, um, it's like two uh, jazz uh, in, improvisers, but they're just coming in from completely different genres. So like not just, even jazz. Ja- like, that's just jazz improvisation. What, just horrible? <laughs> Bunch <laughs> just, of people just all bad. playing the wrong notes in the wrong order in different keys. Yeah, but it's not. There's not the notes you play. It's the ones you don't, or something, or something like that. That's, That's jazz, the problem isn't with it? jazz. That's the problem with jazz. <laughs> That's the problem with bad jazz. Is they're not playing enough not notes. If you know what I mean, there's too many notes. The problem with jazz is that you need to know quite a lot about music to be able to determine bad jazz. And so, by the time you know what bad jazz is, you're in the elite group of people who can also play jazz. And so they all just get to decide what jazz sounds like. And so jazz just sounds like jazz. That's probably why jazz hasn't taken off in a mainstream kind of way, really, isn't it? I mean, jazz was pretty mainstream for a while there. Yeah, but it, when? Like, not nowadays, obviously. No, no. I mean, I, I can't imagine you hearing, like, leave Blades of Grass on, you know, Radio Top of the Pops. Because that's not a thing anymore. <laughs> Top of the Pops. I like that your go-to Classic. reference for popular music is... Top of the pops. Classic British reference. I'm not a big uh, mainstream music guy. That is my issue. So if you're wondering what it was that Jamie did 100% mention earlier that I wasn't aware of, uh, what this is, is a podcast about uh, comic books, graphic novels, mangas, Penny Dreadfuls are webcomics. No, you're going in for the formal... No, we're not... We're I'm not just doing, putting it in parts. We're not, we're not doing the formal introduction this week. We're going... It's jazz, baby. Okay, yeah. Totally jazz. Totally jazz. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Just completely off the top of my head, I was just going to mention that also any single, any essentially any <laughs> no, single frame of the show no. where the characters use bubble to talk or think. Um, that's just a bit off the top, off yeah, the dome, yeah, off the dome jazz, out of nowhere. So what have you been watching this week? Uh, well, um, me as in this person, uh, the soon to be known as comic stand named Ryan, um, well, what no, I've been watching. I've, I've already I'm introduced just, you. I'm just talking naturally, mate. I'm just talking naturally. <laughs> I already introduced you. I said, Ryan, what yeah. do you, you know, like I've done it. It's fine. And I appreciate you, uh, the, uh, amiable co-host Jamie, uh, to, <laughs> I appreciate you introducing me in a very, very jazzy, nonchalant <laughs> way. I appreciate that from you. <laughs> So you didn't like the loosey goosey approach? I thought you were just gonna. I thought you were gonna loosely get the information in. I no, didn't think you no. were gonna get no information in. No, I, I wanted a cold open, and that's what I did. I mean, you did. Yeah, you can still do a cold open with the information like later afterwards. I don't know. Um, if I'm gonna, I'm gonna instigate a vote. Okay. Um, so I would like you all to send a postcard voting for the cold open or the cold open with the information added later completely off the dome or no cold open and opening the exact same time every way for the rest of our lives until we die yeah absolutely so there's three options what i want you to do is send a postcard to comicliterate at gmail.com yeah buy a postcard no 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 no, no, no. no. see you know you see this is the thing right right? you need to make one in ms paint that's the only way i will accept it no no the two options right i think you'll (laughs) i think you'll appreciate the second option right (laughs) Let me run a post first. You buy a postcard. Can I take a photo of it. No, no. You buy a postcard and then yeah. you take it to a scanner, 
like a, in a library. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And that's you scan good. it and you both sides, you know, like when you send in your driving <laughs> license, you have to send it both sides, but it's on two separate scans. So yeah. it's two pieces of A4 paper, but for the tiniest bit of the actual license. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I get it. But the two sides of the postcard. So one is the front, the picture, wherever that is. Uh, preferably one of like a beach is like wish you were here or something like yeah, that great great and on the other side yeah your votes cast your votes you get two votes your vote counts for two if you ma- if you're able to find in a local gift shop a postcard with a photograph of your local nutter on it yes because they do that here in Norwich uh, <laughs> they- I don't know if that's a common thing does every town do that? Our local nutter is a beloved Norwich hero, though, isn't he? He's not really a nutter. He's just wonderful. I mean, he's a nutter in the sense that what he does <laughs> would constitute <laughs> being a nutter, but he's also harmless and therefore beloved. If you would like to know more about our local nutter, you only need to Google Norwich Puppet Man. And he he has, there there are... Oh, yeah, there's merchandise, which I'm fairly certain he doesn't get any money for. But that... No, I don't think anybody's paying him licensing. <laughs> But there's all sorts of rumors. Like I heard he's died on three separate occasions. So, and then I saw him like a few weeks ago. So, yeah, I, bu- I bumped into him in a pound land in Great Yarmouth recently. The fact that he was in a, a shop <laughs> is crazy like in he itself. Was, he didn't have the trolley or the puppets. He was just going about his day. He was just asking, "Excuse me, sir, can you help me with this item that I <laughs> seem to be uh, I'm confused by slightly?" I stopped and said hello. He was very nice. Oh, well, I believe. I mean, let's get him on as a guest at some point if we can. <laughs> can we have him and Alan Moore on at the same time? <laughs> Alan, just to just to offset your wizard energy, we brought in a really down-to-earth man of the people, uh, the puppet man. You can't see, but he's doing a jig. He's doing doing a jig. He's got his, he's got the microphone and he's <laughs> Have you seen, by the way, Alan Moore just released a book of short stories? That was the one I told you about, the the greatest beginning of a story. That was one of those, I think. Oh, so, was it? Yeah, so one of the stories was about the Big Bang, and that opened with the the sentence, it was the best of times, it was the first of times. Oh, we Which is the best opening seen. line of a story I've ever ever heard. I, I, think, I think at some point we should deviate and just discuss Alan Moore's short stories. I mean, we could do a, a barely literate uh, one about that, because it involves having to read it. And I'll yeah. be like, I'm struggling with this. There's a bit too many words here for me. Yeah, I don't know what's going on here, guys. There's yeah. no pictures. There's no Alan Moore comics, a bit wordy. But we'll get a Barely Literate out, uh, episode out at some point. I don't think we've told the people what Barely Literate is. So when you see it, just it's, click on it. If you see anything under the banner, just just have a listen. Just go for it. And uh, speaking of, you did ask me if I'd watched anything. Yeah, what have you been watching? Uh, so I've kind of got half answer because of the things I would normally watch and come in and talk about, I've not watched anything like that because what i have been watching unfortunately i say unfortunately for you to me talking about it it was uh wrestlemania weekend, uh, oh, weekend I so see. i've been watching on average about eight hours of wrestling for four days now jesus it, about average eight hours a day yeah so the problem with it is is uh it's not just the one company the big one the wwe doing it but it's every other company will do shows in the area because mm. it's the biggest weekend of the industry so every other company will put on little shows yeah. and get and those shows also get broadcast online and stuff so there's a lot of stuff to watch so i've been watching a lot of wrestling around that time um so and i don't want to bore people with that for people who aren't fans i don't think we're at a point yet where we've got like a large wrestling niche 
part of the fandom yet. So <laughs> when we do, I'll I'll go into more detail, obviously. I can't but, wait. But the one thing I will say is um, what was interesting, and I think I can get this across. I'm going to attempt to get this across in a way where non-wrestling fans will understand what I'm on about here. But the end of the weekend, the main event of night two of WrestleMania, WWE's WrestleMania, the show of all shows, their biggest event of the year, mm. the unofficial series finale with the season then starting the following night on mm. the Monday Night Raw after the Raw after WrestleMania. So of this show, you had the big buildup that's been going on for a year at least, almost three years, with their big undefeatable champion and facing their biggest good guy babyface to try and dethrone him after about 600, maybe 700 days as champion. So imagine, the best way I get this across, what is your, not to put on this spot, but what would you say is your favourite good versus evil big final battle in fiction? Helm's Deep. Okay, yeah. So imagine, so you're talking about Return of the King, right? Yeah. Yeah. So imagine at that pivotal moment, right? when Gandalf's coming over the hill and he's got all the extra people and they're all going to the big battle or whatever, right? A bloke with a mullet and a speedo comes out. No, even better. <laughs> it's genuinely imagine that's happening, right? And you're watching it and you're going, this is amazing culmination of three films. Oh, this is brilliant. And they're going to destroy the ring or whatever. Imagine if um, the orcs just won and then Frodo didn't drop the ring went invisible and fucked off and that was the end oh brilliant imagine if that was the ending of return of the king of the lord of the rings trilogy right that's essentially what happened at wrestlemania last night <laughs> how do you how do you feel a bit salty about it i'm i'm enjoying it because i'm what the wwe fans would call a wwe hater so i laugh at the misfortune of what's going on there um i'm surprised I'm shocked they went that way because, again, if Peter Jackson had done that in Return of the King, that's essentially what just happened. Wasn't this the first one without Vince McMahon as well? Yeah, he may or may not be back. (laughs) (laughs) Would the writing imply that he's back? Well, put it this way. So the guy who's meant to be in charge of the creatives, no, no, Triple H, someone who Mm. you might know from the Attitude Era, he became the son-in-law to the boss and is now the head of creative. So the way I describe it is, imagine your, your creative work being so bad that people are using it to justify the conspiracy theory that the previous <laughs> bad regime is in fact back imagine imagine being uh the was it, the new order or whatever after the empire destroyed after um darth vader and palpatine were killed off or whatever when they died luke's you know the new new republic yeah. or whatever they're all you know they're all back Imagine someone going, you guys are running things so badly that I suspect Palpatine is actually back. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's what's happening right now. Excellent. So, yeah, that's if you're non WWE fan, just imagine whatever your biggest <laughs> culmination of a story, imagine it just going the other way. That's what happened. Imagine Ramsey Bolton just fucking Jon Snow up at the end of the Battle of the Bastards. Yep, sure, exactly. Uh, or any of the other points of Game of Thrones. <laughs> but instead of at the beginning where they made sense there at the end <laughs> imagine season eight of uh, game, of game of thrones <laughs> it was like that yes exactly man the song of, i'm so excited for the last two books of a song of ice and fire i just want why, a real ending. On, why are you excited for something that's not going to come out fuck you it's not though is it no like, he's <laughs> so old if george R. R. martin if you're listening to the podcast stop listening to podcasts and write the books i generally think that's like an asshole thing to do to have fans that have elevated you through enjoying your work but buying your shit and essentially elevating you 
to giving you your success, right? The fans have given him his success and they're eagerly awaiting the last two chapters of this seminal series that they've been enjoying and hyping up and telling their friends and getting popular enough to make a TV show that was incredibly successful. And then last two books, you go, nah, I can't be asked. And he's not explicitly done that, but that is essentially what he's done, isn't it? He's gone, well, he's just, he's I'll just, get around to it. He's just been telling us that a winds of winter, wind of winter, is coming for years. So bear in mind, the last book came out long before they started making the TV show. And there was this kind of assumption that he would be done before they got to that point. Um, and, and he's written a one, I think a 1700 page tome mm. in that time. He published uh, Fire and Blood. Basically, he's fucking around. Well, <sighs> Fire and Blood was incredible, right? It was a fictional history. So it was written as a history book from the perspective of a maester who lived during King Robert Baratheon's reign about the early reign of the Targaryen. Like, it was a really clever concept. It was a, it was a fictional history book, but not a novel set in a fantasy world, an actual fictional history. Really clever, really fucking cool. We already have a TV show adaptation of it, and mm. we don't have Winds of Winter yet. Do you think, is it like a really meta thing? <laughs> Like a really meta joke to the fans, I don't, or reference because because the, they're once um, winter is apparently coming. Yeah, I but mean, it's putting off for ages. I, George R. R. Martin has always written slowly. He's always written slowly. He's always been a. <laughs> when you say slowly, all I imagine is him, like you know, like two index fingers on a keyboard, like well, t- 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 like that's how he that's how he writes his novels. Would you like me to paint a word picture for you about George R. R. Martin's writing process? I mean, just the, because of the medium we're on, I think a word picture would be the best way. And the best just, picture. <laughs> no, rather than you charading it to me and be me just going, hmm, ah, oh, yeah, wow, doing a jig again. <laughs> Um, he writes on a 1980s computer, right? Which has a DOS-based word processor. So he he writes on like a vintage computer, um, because that's just the word processor that he got. He started using after he stopped using a typewriter. Um, and so yeah, he sits there in his like loft in I think California. And I imagine by his age, he probably does type with one finger. I mean, you'd, you'd assume that a, I mean, typewriters, like people who use typewriters, they've got good at doing like multiple things. The reason they're spaced out that way is because the keys yeah, you know, quite, hit each other. Quite a keyboard yeah. Is, yeah. So you'd assume that someone like who's writing entire novels, I mean, I joke, but you'd, you'd assume they wouldn't be like, they call it hunt then, and peck typing. Yeah. It's, it's people who aren't used to typing at all or anything, but. You know what's amazing? Gen Z can't type. That's weird, isn't it? But, oh, can they can they thumb type? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No, they're amazing at using a phone. Mm. But there's this whole wave of Gen Zers now hitting the workplace who don't know how to use a computer because they've not needed to use one. They got given tablets in school um, instead of laptops. And the tech that they've used has always been phones and tablets. And so... Gen Z don't know how to use computers anymore en masse. I'm surprised that the crossover between... Because I get what you're saying. Like, there is a difference between Android or iPhones, Apple. There's a difference between touchscreens and computers, obviously. 
but it does also feel like they're closer to have a kind of cross platform like and i get what you mean i i imagine it more just being like oh i'm not quite familiar with this and then a little bit and they're like all right i've got it now yeah yeah no like i'm not suggesting that gen z like like a 19 year old hitting the workplace is just like what is this ancient (laughs) technology why do the runes not match well what i imagine my head was you know older people probably in like the early noughties there was a point where they start having <laughs> and though they were completely clueless because they got fucked. no technology to here's a computer whereas i think there's i would imagine it's probably a bit more crossover like like we said um but yeah that makes sense i mean there's always going to be that difference um especially if and to be fair i think a lot of people you say gen z but i think there's even in our generation who are the computer generation yeah there's people who just don't use them commonly enough at least like i work with people who have computers in the homes and stuff but they still go like oh how do you do this and to me that's like super simple thing but they've just never needed to do it in their home life but they soon as you're in the work and yeah then there's reasons to do it i remember setting up a um drop down option box on a spreadsheet for a boomer boss yeah excel is very complicated though to be fair and he looked at me and he was like what is this witchcraft and i was like it's basic secondary school excel mm. like, to be fair i forgot all the excel stuff but what i have which they don't have as well i think most of our generation have is knowing how to google a question yeah because yeah, yeah. they just don't even think of that they're like i don't know how to do a thing and you go why don't you just google it and they go what do i ask any, but that's a skill in itself. It's knowing the terms to be like, how do I drop a drop-down menu into a cell? Like they don't know how to phrase that question. One of the things that we learn in high school IT, sat next to each other, not paying attention. Yep, we're that was, old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Was how to use a search engine. And again, mm. something that I learned in a functional skills class at university was how to use a search engine really well. That's like the um, brackets and minuses yeah, and stuff exactly, like that. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm quite good at using a search engine for that reason. Yeah, I'd say I'm better than the average person, but I always see like every once in a while, especially on like Reddit or something, you see like that, like, here's how you properly search. And there's a bunch of stuff like, I don't know those ones, but I've also never needed them. So I'm just going to leave it. Yeah. I'm going to leave that information for now. Uh, speaking of uh, books, as we were a while ago, uh, have you been reading anything you want to? I mention? have, and mine mine is as like weird as yours this week. We've we've both had an odd week. You you also put off books because you were watching WrestleMania. <laughs> yeah, this is exactly what happened. No, I'm reading a book that was written by one of my buddies. Wow, and he sell he didn't. George R. R. Martin's not your buddy, <laughs> right? George and I we're tight. <laughs> George R. as I call him. Saves the one R for his pals. You use two, R, two R's if you don't know them. Yeah, yeah, this is it. Um, we just call him R. Old double R. We just call him R. <laughs> Jeez. Um, no, I'm reading a book called Why Aren't You Better? No, cool. I Can't Believe You're Not Better. Right, right. Um, which is a self-help book that my friend wrote during NaNoWriMo. I don't know if you know what NaNoWriMo is. NaNoWriMo. 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 Um... Guess. Uh, a NaNoWriMo is where uh, nannies, so people who look after, people who are hired to look after children, meet to do some kind of spoken word poetry that rhymes. Oh, that'd be dope. <laughs> do you know, I, I'm guessing it's not that. 
you know that would go down really well with like the trendy set in Williamsburg, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, for sure. That's that, there's like big there'd be signs like "Come to the Nanorama on Nan- yeah. Nanorimo on, and you'd uh, get a free red solo cup of craft ale and a gluten free biscuit or cookie. A gluten free cookie. Nothing sounds more sad. <laughs> um, no, why Nano- is it crumbling apart? <laughs> Nanorimo is National Novel Writing Month. Right. I was and close so, though. Yeah. And so he wrote a self-help book and it's the most wonderful thing because um, my friend is a particularly sweary human. Mm-hmm. And so he, he's written the swears into the book. Oh, so many swears. <laughs> um, and he, he's, he's openly really hostile towards the reader or like the, the persona from which he's written the book is. And there's a point at which it, he kind of, the, the, um, the narrator, the, uh, the narratorial voice, if you will. Yeah. Um, questions whether or not you're actually doing the activities in the self-help book and threatens to come and attack you with a rusty hammer. Um, and it's very graphic and very vivid and it's um, a pretty good self-help book. I had a really fun, I've been having a fun time with it, like doing activities out of it. How do you reconcile the fact that no, no self-help book is truly self-help because you have had to consult someone to have written a book for you to then help yourself with? One of the things that the author of I Can't Believe You're Not Better um, has really grappled with. Because ah. he, he says, I am in fact much fucking better than you. <laughs> okay. And he, he's, he, he makes you very much aware that you are worse than him and that is why you're reading his book. So it's so would you be fair to say it's not, it's a, not a self-help book, it's a get help from this person's book. Yeah, book, absolutely. If that makes sense. Because yeah. again, self-help book, true self-help book would be one you've written yourself that then helps you. He did his own self-help yeah, book. Yeah, if he, if he benefited <laughs> from writing his own self-help book, that's a true self-help book. Yeah, absolutely. No, we, we, I bumped into him the other day and we started talking about which activities we'd done. Um, it, was, it was a fun time. So I, I ended up having to go to a natural library, Ryan. Ooh, they still exist. They still exist. I, wow. have, a new, I have a new library card. Wow. It was a real ordeal, but I... A real ordeal? I'm so sorry. Um, I sat... <laughs> Rhyming is for the, <laughs> for the, for the week. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we, we do cadence here. Yes. Um, yeah, I went to an actual library and I pulled a bunch of books off the shelves and I learned about foxes. Just for any... Did you just go, F, foxes, cool? Or... One of the activities was that you had, to, you had to get a spirit animal. And so I had to list my 10 favorite animals. And um, I was then told that number five was my spirit animal, and that was the humble fox. Wow. And I had to go to a library and do research about the fox. Is it because you also um, find your dinner in bins? Well, this is the thing. One of the, um, one of the next activities was that you had to make a bunch of comparisons between you and the spirit animal based on positive qualities. <laughs> and also, another, another your spirit bastard which is like all the negative qualities of your spirit animal. And one of the negatives I drew between myself and my spirit bastard is that my spirit bastard often eats out of bins. And when I'm stressed out, I often eat garbage, like garbage food. And I was like, the fox in me, man, we're on the same wavelength. So that did require an a, um, objective decision to frame eating out of bins as a negative quality rather than a positive. Because some, some could look at that as uh, resourcefulness. Well, do you and want some fox facts? Let's do fox facts. Foxes? You have to say fox facts. Fox facts. Yes. Fox fact one. <laughs> um, foxes are now the most abundant large carnivore in the entire world. 
Yep. And one of the reasons that is, is because they're the only large carnivore that have really adapted to living in suburban and urban environments. Are they, um, are they, um, solely carnivore or they omnivore because i always imagine them being omnivore for like ah because i always imagine like if something's kind of a what's the good word for scrounger but you know like um a scavenger scavenger yeah scrounger yeah <laughs> go on, get off benefits <laughs> you, you fox um yes, probably could, i mean could, could I roll up, to be fair the right hate foxes as much as they hate poor and homeless people so oh mate yeah no that makes sense a. in my in my fox research there was a book and this guy's and and that and a really angry reader had been making passive aggressive notes in the margins of this book, and he under Hang on. and put the put it back in the library and put it back in the library. What kind of an animal? <laughs> That's worse than scrounging for rubbish. Foxy one. Ugh. No, foxes were never. <laughs> foxes weren't dare steep to writing in library books. Jesus Christ! Oh, I think that's exactly the kind of antics a fox would get up to. But no, he underlined a passage where this guy basically said, "I'm not going to have an opinion either way about fox hunting." And then like a hundred pages later, in like a little floating piece of text in the corner of the page, the author had said, oh, before the liberal elites got hold of the country and the socialists won and we can't fox hunt anymore. And the guy had underlined it and then made a little note that said, see page 98, which referred back to the section where he said he was going to remain impartial. And I was like, this guy, you need to hire him because he is fucking brilliant. I love people who take staunch positions on things and then completely forget and change it later or claim to not have yeah, staunch opinions. Absolutely. I'm not biased at all, but I do think, and then it's the complete opposite or whatever. I'm not biased at all, but here's my bias. And as someone who would, I'd, I'd get a true kick. I'd get a true kick out of if socialism actually took over any Western country at this point. When the right wing are like, oh, socialism's out of control. It's like, what are you on about? There's no, there's no socialism Socialism's at all. so out of control. I went to a hospital the other day and only had to wait 20 minutes and they fixed me for free. It was disgusting. Socialism's, socialism is so out of control in America, as the right keep claiming, <laughs> that you only get put into poverty when you get sick rather than just being killed right there in the doctor's office. So <laughs> it's, it's PC gone mad, oh, you know? Oh, that was an opinion, wasn't it? I'm full of them, mate. I just spill out. I saw... Um, if, you, if you're really quiet for just two seconds, you can hear the loud gunshots of our American listeners as they start shooting in the air, screaming Lone Star State. But we don't know if that's happiness or out of happiness or anger, because they do they, either way, you know? Happy shooting is revolvers, angry mm. shooting is AR-15s. And especially angry shooting is AK-47s. Normally in non-Western countries as well, because <laughs> that AK-47 man, that was a that was a you, you could be anti-guns, but you got to admit that was a fine bit of craftsmanship. That was. I mean, it's smooth bore, so you're not hitting anything that you're actually aiming at with it, but you're hitting everything else in the vicinity. Was uh, Samuel L. Jackson said in um, in Jackie Brown uh, when you absolutely positively got to kill every motherfucker in the room? It's like, and the next room, because those words <laughs> go straight through walls. Don't worry about it. Did you know you can make a Kalashnikov with a lathe in the woods? I mean, I didn't, but I'm not surprised in the slightest. You, all you need to make a Kalashnikov is, the, obviously, the, you know, the constituent materials, mm. a generator, and a fucking lathe, and you could literally make it in the jungle. Wow. It's I mean, an astonishing piece of engineering. I mean, that's, I said, that's why it's all over the place. And again, you could be anti-gun. I... 
<laughs> yes, got, you got can. Right yes. On it. But it's, it's respectable craftsmanship at the very least. Ryan, is that your NRA badge just slipping out of your top pocket there? No, that's my... Um, that's my Kalashnikov. That's my... It's <laughs> an actual gun. I'm not a registered member. Because what? The government have my details. Ugh. You know what they're like. Anyway... So this week, we are going to be talking about a, another recent title. It's a bit of an interesting one because it did actually originally start in 2019, but it's still ongoing now. And the reason that I uh, picked out as an option for us to do was it was actually, well, I thought it was just only last year's Eisner Award winner. Actually, it's won several awards. Um, oh, was it an Eisner Award winner? Eisner Award winner last year and I think the two years before... Uh, and nominated, I think, a year before that. Um, so, cut long story short, we are doing the title Something is Killing the Children, which is ongoing comic book series created by... These people have names I'm absolutely going to butcher. Oh, God. Not even it. especially... Well, James Tinian or Tinian? Uh, I haven't looked the, at it. The fourth. So he's got, <laughs> he's got an old fourth after it. Which, well done repping that. That's, uh, that's brave. Oh, mate. Yeah. And... Wertha del Adira, I think. Um, but they uh writer and artist, and it's a monthly published issue by Boom Studios, which is an interesting one because you haven't done them yet, but they are a fine up-and-coming kind of studio or studio publisher. I mean, they're winning Eisner Awards. Exactly, and that's what helps. It just takes a couple of titles and a couple of acclaim, and that's what gets you going. I think yeah. that's exactly what happened with Image, uh, originally with, like, you know, Walking Dead and Invincible and those kind of mm. titles. So, um, but I actually won the uh, Best Continuing Series last year, and then I won Best Writer the past two years, so 21-22. Mm. Um, oh, no, sorry. Best Continuing Series and Best Writer this year. Yeah, Best Writer last year, nominated for Book of the Year Harvey Awards. Don't know what that is, but probably significant. It was on Wikipedia. And the year before <laughs> that, it was nominated for Best New Series when it first started. Um, cool. So a lot of acclaim, and we're going we're gonna to get into it. Um, would, you rather, would you rather me read the Wikipedia synopsis, which there finally was one for a title this time, or would you like to play Recommend the Book Without Spoiling Any of It game? Should we do both? Well, at the same, well, talk over each other at the same time. Isn't that the whole idea of podcasting? I mean, we could try. It's probably not going to sound good, but here we go. Well, if I go first, okay, you wanna, you we'll go. go one by one. Okay, yeah, yeah. You go into the woods today. What do you think you'll find? Isn't it? You're sure for a big surprise. Well, yeah, I know, but you know, <laughs> like copyright strikes. <laughs> do they, is there a copyright on the if you the bears in the woods or whatever? Do you want to find teddy out? bears picnic? That's it. Isn't do it? you want to do you want the teddy bears picnic people to be at our door? You, I thought you were doing it as a threat for a second. It's like, do you want to go down to the woods today and see what a big surprise? <laughs> I'll meet you there. Okay, let, we'll we'll take a different tact. We'll take a different tact. Okay. Creepy boy accused of killing friends in woods. Overzealous manic pixie dream girl fights monsters in a cave. For a second, I thought you were doing it in haiku form. Honestly. I used to be able to write haiku, but I don't know how many syllables. I think it's like four... five, seven, five, isn't it? It's been a long time, <laughs> mate. <laughs> it's been a while since I've been in the haiku game. Oh, oh yeah, you know, like I'm not, I'm not trying to. Let's face it, I'm not trying to impress first year literature students anymore. Like I just don't need to do that. Was haiku really that way to? Was that the way to impress them? It was a big bottle of frosty jacks. I'm going to be honest with you. I fluffed my recommendation, Ryan, so I think you actually really do need to do the Wikipedia one. Okay, so off the cuff, you like the whole, 
you were just saying earlier you like the whole free flowing whatever right yeah i'm a i'm a person i'm like you're you are a person so we're both humans right so this is earth we're on earth right yeah i'm getting into it so milky way galaxy that's where we are right now right? Yeah. and you go oh i've read this something's killing the children i go hmm that sounds weird you should be arrested but before that why don't you tell me why this book is so good that you've just mentioned and risked jail time for with that title that you've said to a complete stranger? Because we are strangers right now. Does that make is, sense? What the fuck is going on? All right. So we're... <laughs> let me start from the top. So okay. we're both humans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. We're both humans. Right. Milky Way. Yeah. Earth. Earth. Did we cover that part? Well, we didn't quite get into the sun's orbit yet. All right. Thus, so we're the sun. So the there's sun. other suns that have other names. This is the sun. Our we sun. just call it the sun. It's like the moon. There's other moons that have names. This is the moon. Yeah. Nearby, cool. right? Yeah. Made of cheese. Yeah. Sure. Why not? It, for, for all intents and purposes, yes. Luna de fromage, maybe? Sure. <laughs> uh, C. Um, <laughs> Bongiorno. <laughs> Bongiorno. <laughs> <laughs> you were gonna do it. It's fun that my um, bad impression. No, what's his name? Will Smith. Brad Pitt. Okay. My Brad Pitt and my Will Smith are the same. They sound exactly They're the, the same. The same voice. Yeah. Buongiorno. No. <laughs> my Brad Pitt in Inglorious Bastards and my Will Smith in Suicide Squad are but the same person. I I think I'm gonna go out on a limb here. Right. Yeah. Crazy notion. I think maybe all your impressions sound the same. <laughs> it's not just your Brad Pitt and your Will Smith. I think it's just all the entire brother of impressions you have. Do you want to hear um, my Alan Moore? You have one. All right, you have one other one. Yes. Go on. My Alan Moore is, I don't like using my books. <laughs> I'm a fucking wizard. <laughs> I'm sorry, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he stopped listening ages ago. It's fine. He sent us a really angry email. <laughs> Cease and desist <laughs> mentioning me, or I will cast a spell. Probably what he does. So uh, we we're, we're both humans, right? <laughs> so, we're still here. So we're strangers. You've said I've read this comic. Something's killing the children. It's really good, and I've gone. Oh, why is it good? But also, don't spoil it because I might read it if if I like your description. So, what would you say to that? Um, it has a very energetic plot. It has really well-timed story beats. I think the characters are well-rounded and a lot of fun. And I think it handles the notion of loss of wonder into adulthood in a really interesting and novel way. So the idea that there are things that we can see as children that maybe we're not as able to identify as adults is a fun trope that pops up in TV and films and literature sometimes. And I think this is a really great use of that trope. Um, if you like Stranger Things, and if you have a fondness for old schlocky horror, I think this would be a really good read for you. Now, I like you're very good at deconstructing the themes and the metaphors and messages, which I like, and that's good. And the references as that well. Skill if you like me this, you like this. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I'd put a price on it, but it's better than most people's. What would you say? So, what if I'm like, what is it about? But also, don't spoil it for me. What is it about? Why? Why should? What is this story? Why should I be interested? So you know, Stranger Things. I'm familiar. I am a stranger who is familiar with the, the show Stranger Things. So it is the there is a monster in a small town killing children. 
and people are trying to work out what's going on genre of fiction okay right and that's so that's what is happening in this instance yeah that's fake yes no exactly yeah i would i i hadn't made that connection to that reference i've actually made some other connections to specific tropes but we'll get into that later but yeah no that is for for lack of going into the details that make this title different from that those i think would be the spoilers in a way yeah. but i'll one thing i'll add so the one thing i'll add to it is the difference without without the spoiler is it's a lot more of a gritty realistic brutally violent at parts version of stranger things would you agree yeah i mean, I th- and i think that's because of the medium yeah. I, d- I don't i don't think this would translate well, I think I think if this went into film, it would either be really brutal and really gritty or schlocky horror. Yeah. I, I don't think you could do anything in the middle, could you? I think a title like this, as you say, it gets away from being this medium, but because the medium is just less known, I think if they made a TV show about this, it would have to be heavily censored compared to the yeah. original, or there would be uproar about showing this kind of thing on a on a in a live action form i think the people who would be pissed off about a live action version of this if it was true to the comic would be just as pissed off about the comic but they just it's just not known about no one knows yeah and i think shows like stranger things interestingly they desensitize us to the title of something's killing the children because because of stranger things we go yeah you know some they push the edges a bit like a kid's gone missing and we don't know what's happened and oh maybe they're dead and oh they're fine in the end this comic if that's what you like this comic is not for you because this comic kills children something <laughs> is killing the children yeah if you know the reference it does exactly what it says on the tin yeah absolutely believe believe yeah. it when it tells you so I'll, I'll get the synopsis which i think as you say is very close to stranger things um mm. Do you want me to do um, movie trailer voice or game show host? Sick, wacky sitcom voice? I want you to do Alan Moore. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. (laughs) This is my favorite part of the podcast. When the children of Archer's Peak begin to go missing, everything seems hopeless. Most children never return, but the ones that do have terrible stories. Impossible stories of terrifying creatures that live in the shadows. Their only hope of finding and eliminating the threat is the arrival of a mysterious stranger. One who believes the children and claims to see what they can see. Her name is Erica Slaughter. She kills monsters. <laughs> I was going to say, why does your... Why does Sean your, Connery. Yeah, why does your I'm, Alan Moore sound I'm like affected, Sean Connery? I'm affected by the... Sure, shy squad. Um, I'm a... I'm a wizard. I'm a wizard. I'm a wizard from Birmingham, you know. He's, but he's not from Birmingham, though, is he? No, he's, he's from, from somewhere else in the middle. Southampton, was it? Or I don't, Ham- I don't, rem- like I don't remember where he's from. All I right. always thought he was from Birmingham. All right, all right. That is all she does. And she bit. Kind of. I think I'd have to watch like an interview for like an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah just move. to get it in there. Yeah. So pretty Stranger Things-esque uh, description right there, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it... Because I went into this, you sent me a title and I started reading it. Yeah. And it struck me really early on that I was like, is this a, this capitalizing on the Stranger Things popularity that happened just before, stroke during the pandemic? I mean, 2019, so it fits time-wise, yeah. Yeah, no, it does, doesn't it? But it never felt like pastiche. 
And that's what really charmed me about it is that it, I felt like I was being told a unique story, even though I was seeing a lot of tropes and similar similarities with something really popular that I'm really familiar with. It felt like I was being presented with this really unique, fun grip, not fun, but yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not a fun story, but it's, it's got, it's a compelling story and the plot moves really well and the story beats all fall in the right places. Like it's a well-told compelling story isn't it yep i think the biggest difference off the bat from stranger things is that the in stranger things there's when this when the weird stuff is happening there's an element of it mixes fear and terror with like fantastical elements yeah so you get like the light like stranger things it lights start flashing and weird stuff's happening and then maybe there's a monster in the corner you have no idea what's happening this i would say as soon as stuff starts actually happening, it goes straight into clinical, real-world violence. Stranger Things um, uses a kind of storytelling device from cinema and TV, a very, very unique device to cinema or film, which is that it doesn't show you the thing that you should be scared of, and that makes it more scary. Yes. See also Silent Hill 2. I mean, and every horror film with a monster or the good ones at the very least yeah this is it and so the thing that makes um what makes stranger things scary is that you're not seeing the monster whereas here we see the monster um but i don't think that's what creates the suspense here i think seeing the monster it remains suspenseful because actually what brings the suspense is knowing what's going to happen next and waiting for it to happen And that's what gave me the suspense while I was reading it and what kept me actually reading it quite quickly. I I skipped through this one really quickly, not because I was up, was bored reading it, but because it was quite page turning. Mm. And I think the dialogue and writing, dialogue especially, uh, helps to really empathize with characters over a very short time. I think it's really good at very quickly establishing real life people or feeling like real life people so like the very first pages it's a sleepover and there's a bit of dread and stuff but there's also a back and forth between characters which isn't typical expositional like hey we're at my house and my parents are asleep so we have to be quiet and you know that kind of we all know each other from school you know that kind of thing it's very much a you've dropped into the middle of a of a sleepover with kids who are trying to scare each other and then something weird is about to happen. Maybe they're going to go out, you know, check something out. And then what really jolted me kind of awake while reading the first issue was the switch between from that to the interview room. Yeah. And you know immediately, because they're one of the children is in an interview room, immediately you infer something horrible has happened. Yeah. Not just horrible, but like in a real world tragedy way. So it's not like, again, Stranger Things, like, you know, lights flashing and they're like, something weird's happening and oh my god, where's Billy? You know, that kind of thing. It just cuts straight to like you like some police officer being like, Okay, I need you just very calmly, I know you've been through something bad. I need you to tell me what like it's like scary how real and you know it felt in that moment. It was a really good piece of storytelling. Mm. And I think something that's quite telling here is that I actually remember the characters' names. So I so James is one of the protagonists. Yes. And he's the character that we see being interviewed. He survived the... Whatever has happened at that moment. Yeah, the 
what what we would consider at that point in the story to be the first attack. Yep. Um, and there's so much that we can infer about his character from that early sleepover scenes and from every and from that interview. Um, you know, and a lot of character inferences that let's face it, the ones yeah. would have butchered and hacked. So the idea that James is gay. Yeah, yeah. Very subtly, slowly brought out, isn't it? Yeah, and it's it's not it's never stated. It's no. always inferred. It's always you know ev- ev- everything that we learn about these characters is either introduced from us to us by inference or dialogue. And I yeah. loved that. I loved finding these characters and kind of you know picking up on those little infer- inferences and being like, oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting thing about James. There are a couple of instances of expositional heavy uh, bits of dialogue, but those are only in relation to the larger world that we delve into through this story and it happens in ways of someone is explained to someone else what happens you know what i mean yeah and, and and we talked about that a bit when we talked about rogue son didn't we yeah where you know we kind of we're given this setting of new orleans yes that was rogue rogue son yeah yeah and 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 that was quite that was painted in quite broad strokes for us this and one's again, uh wisconsin yeah it is yeah <laughs> Wisconsin, the it's the cheese state, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Packers, Green Bay Packers, is a yeah. big, is a big thing. Yeah, yeah. And um, like when we were at the uh, pub a few weeks ago, and everyone was like, "I'm from Philadelphia," and I was like, "Uh, does this mean anything to you?" Uh, go Eagles! And oh, she and she shat herself. Yeah, lost her shit, didn't she? Yeah, felt nice to do like a little like I don't know what this means, but you seem to enjoy it. So there you go. <laughs> it's also that '70s show set, isn't it? Yes, Wisconsin. Yeah, hello, Wisconsin. Hello, Wisconsin. Um, but again, you know, that the setting is less important here. Yeah. Um, but I was just talking about the fact that we've talked about other comic books where they've had quite strong dialogue, but also used those broader strokes to give you a sense of like place and time and stuff like that. And I think that was done quite well here and in a way that wasn't jarring. Yeah. And uh, what I liked with that initial transition from the sleepover to the interview room was... The, the light and dark so it yeah. literally went from the 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 sleepover felt like a traditional scary story dark basement but it also felt like friends in a cozy safe environment yeah and then the interview room contrasted the harsh sterile lighting yeah and this room where all the coziness and comfort are gone completely so it's interesting it went from dark and cozy and safe to then which normally you would associate the other way yeah now bright sterile like maybe still safe but post danger yeah and that's it's it's such clear imagery that's used so well just very quickly and i think when you know when when you talk about lighting right <laughs> um just in in terms of illustration conveying a lighting change in illustration you think oh well you just go from one panel that has a lot of black to one panel that has a lot of white right yeah but actually conveying light in illustration is really challenging um you know when you're trying when you're drawing um picking a light source and conveying light and dark and that kind of stuff is actually really challenging and i hadn't considered it but you're right it's done so well there i think the the panel where you first see the police officer what's a page turn isn't it yeah and then it's a big one page spread so not a two page spread, yeah. but it's the first new page is just the kid in the interview room and you're like oh shit yeah and it's done so well isn't it yeah 
and 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 I like um I like that James and his friends all have a distinct voice. Yeah. Um, you know, ju- just to... after last week. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to like weigh too heavy on it, but they do, don't they? Like that's, they're really well written. That's going to be our benchmark for a while. That's going to be our bar of like well, this was the worst we've had, so it's way up here do now. Do the characters at least sound different? Do they Please lo- tell me they do. Do they look different? <laughs> <laughs> and and James does look notably different to his friends. I mean, he's the only one in glasses. Yeah, the glasses are big, but that's that is a, a especially a comic illustrator or writer. That's like a just a tool to use. Isn't yeah, it? I don't begrudge him and be like, oh, now you're putting glasses or like different clothes on characters to distinguish them. Yeah, that's real life. Like we know people like that's the bald person that's the pair of the glasses like, yeah that's... no i think it's done well here as well yeah. like i think i think it it sets james apart from his friends it kind of it sets him up to be the protagonist the one thing i do like it um and it's a little thing but did you notice none of the the first one to die wasn't black uh yeah i mean that's i think that's a setting thing as well like it's a very white rural part Everyone's of wisconsin very white, aren't they yeah but that's yeah. it's i said it's rural midwest america yeah which I think in real life probably is more multicultural and more diverse than oh than, yeah, these but days. the stereotypical rural Midwest town is mm. still the the stereotype is still overly white. So, mm. but um, yeah, it's the page layout is the thing we keep coming back to on like on comics. Ah, oh, yeah, there were some instances of really great where I almost took a picture, but I didn't want to be like to you on a podcast like look at this, like yeah, but it was. There was one double page spread. It was a big picture in the top left. And then it was a couple of smaller ones on the right. And then it was long columns at the bottom. Yeah. And it really drew your eye to like bang to the left, across to the right. And then you like, you see there's columns under. So you start from left to right again. So you read it like bang and then yeah. top half and then bottom half. There were also a couple of moments where they did the same thing that happened in the ones where they go to a layout that had a lot of small panels. Yep. Where I sometimes kind of went, oh, I'm not really sure where I'm meant to go here and had to piece it together based on the dialogue. It so was there a- were a couple of... There, there, I agree with you. There were some moments where it worked incredibly well and then some moments where I was like, oh, this maybe isn't working quite so well. Were these small panels, were they not more of a grid of kind of left to right? Because that's why I think they were, but I might be wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, I worked it out. It wasn't something that ruined my experience of it but i did have a couple of moments with it where i was like oh i'm not 100 percent sure where i am at the moment right but i think what was good about those was they were mostly used in back and forth conversations yeah yeah yeah, yeah definitely and yeah. small lines between them so i think that's a good use of those when you're not doing like paragraph to one character paragraph to the other character and back and forth like that it was very like one word short or couple of word short sentences and again, something that I've been harping on about a lot, and that I've got, you know, something that I've been talking about a lot on the pod is how the pace at which I scan through a comic. Mm. And exactly as you say, when it's a lot of short pieces of dialogue, actually condensing it into much smaller panels so that you scan through it quicker, it has the effect of speeding up the way you read it. Yeah. Um, instead of having to turn pages and look at these quarter size panels for a line of dialogue, you know? And what doubly helped as well, I think, was each little square was a new was a little new part. So it yeah. kind of focused in like a character's eye or a character yeah. like a character is smoking and you see that the ashtray. So it, even though you you could see that maybe in the panel beforehand, it sh- highlights these little parts. 
and they kind of contextualized like the theme and the mood of the of the conversation mm. so like well the first one i noticed was one of the characters i can't remember his name but he's the older guy um who is the brother of one tommy. of the missing children tommy yeah, and talking to his mum. and it's a really downer conversation because she's asking him to put flyers up yeah. for his their missing for the missing child and he's like uh work asked me to stop putting them on everyone's car windows because it made everyone sad at the restaurant and the mum is like are you gonna get fired if you do again and he's like probably not i'm a manager she's like take stack then and it's such a downer conversation and all of those little panels like her smoking in the kitchen and looking away like not even bother to look at him him standing uncomfortably like it you could put that all in one panel and you would have to look at it but with the little square individual squares it's like look at this look at this look at this and each one has a little line of dialogue as well so it's i found that as a good uh i hadn't seen that much in other comics i remember so it was an interesting take i think this is something that i'm starting to notice in when we're but when we're comparing you know we don't compare and contrast much here but we've talked about some older and classic comic books and then we've talked about some more modern stuff and i feel like the page layout is more of a theme that we end up talking about in more modern stuff yeah i think i think it's something that as people are kind of you know as the as the medium's growing and people are experimenting more with it one of the things that they're experimenting with is page layout and it's just yeah it's it's an interesting narrative device and it's something that we keep coming back to um because it has an effect on the way you scan through the comic and the way you read it doesn't it yeah i um, it's think- like i mean i suppose the way to think of it is it's like sentence structure in a novel right oh sure and and even like paragraph structure as well yeah i would even say maybe page that is more like paragraph structure because it's almost like a it's like that would just slight zoom out from from sentence structure so if you think sentence structure is like within the bubbles i would equate and this is purely my talking out of the ass opinion i think paragraph structure is like page layout because then that's like a bigger layout of the page like paragraphs in a book i don't know if i agree because one of the things that sentence structure defines is the way that a sentence is punctuated finds the way it's scanned right and then you know the page layout is kind of defining the page layout is defining the way the book scans i suppose what we're arguing about the same thing on a macro level aren't we yeah, but on the other hand, I think this is a, a unavoidable disagreement. I think we should end the podcast. Okay, it's been a good run. <laughs> I mean, not just this episode, yeah, the entire show. Yeah, it's been a good run, we did well. I don't see how we can move past this. No, I don't, I don't either. All right, well, agree to disagree. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I think the older comics, you say about the, we, you, the, we don't mention page layout with older comics. Mm. I think that this is, again, a complete guess. I think there's an element back then of like, well, these are for kids, so we need to make them as easy to read as possible. Yeah, they often were in quarters or thirds, weren't they? Yeah, and just a more uniform, like, we need to make it the same every time so they know how to read each issue that comes mm. out monthly. Because also they were like, hey, make sure to come back next week or next month. Yeah. Whereas these, a lot of these come, people read in like volumes when they get mm. released on trade paperback. So they can or be like, they let's make it interesting. Binge them online. <laughs> yeah. And they yeah. steal I them. Mean, that's, I mean, some people do that. Some people do that, yeah. But th- but th- that's you know that's one of the ways that this medium's consumed. I like I know we don't do that, but it's it's part of the way that the I medium's consumed. Online is a hundred percent going to take over physical. But mm. while I say that, physical does still seem to be thriving somewhere. And I I said this um, when I was looking at those numbers. You remember the 
the numbers for issues being sold is like units to actual comic book shops and yeah. physical and i was like i'm surprised these are still thriving i think it's going to be one of those things where actually much like music when it became available online everybody went mad for it i can get it for free i don't need to pay for this anymore and then the people who really love music kind of took a step back and said oh i miss having physicals and record sales went through the roof again and supermarkets started stocking vinyl again for the first time in 30 years yeah there's definitely an element of that it's just when you see like these numbers of like how many units are being sold in shops Mm. all i imagine is it's like if you buy a record even Mm. like a band with loads of albums like say the beatles whatever you buy all the beatles records you buy all the Beatles records, that's like a box or in a room or whatever. If you're reading bloody Batman and you're like, I get Batman issues. It's like, all right, there's five consec- there's five <laughs> simultaneous titles being released. They're all going to go for about 100 issues maybe and then get restarted with a new volume. You're buying all of those every month. Um, that's like 20 issues a month. Or say five issues a month, bloody 50, 60 a year. So every year you have to find somewhere to put 60 issues. And this is just this is all bollocks math. But what I'm saying is, it's such an ongoing thing. How do you find space for it? If you collect records, you kind of have to make the choice of like, I'm buying this record from this band. I like this particular one. I'm going to make space for it. Mm. With comics, it's like, I buy occasional issues of stuff. So if there's, I'll go to a comic book shop and I'll buy a one issue of something I've, that I read recently I really liked. So like if I read a particular issue um, of like Deadpool, like, that was a really good one. If I see it in the shop, like, yeah, I'll get that one. And I'll just yeah. put it away and never look at it, but I own it. I've collected it, that kind of thing. But if I was like, I only read my comics through physical medium, I have to find space and make buy yard boxes and fill them up just to read a comic. Or are they getting rid of them afterwards? But then are they, what, selling them on? Or you know. So something that's wild that I've just realized mm. is that having known you for 20 years, I've never actually seen one of your bedrooms right i've been in a house that you've lived in yeah but it was a shared house and so you weren't filling the space to be fair i still haven't filled and uh, I, I say i would buy occasional one issues yeah but that's only for the bin for the past couple of years are you a part because there are people who like stuff and i would categorize myself as a person who likes stuff we are sat in my catacomb that is covered uh, in stuff your mansion filled with stuff yes yeah. are you a person who likes stuff i my feelings about stuff are overshadowed by my disdain for lack of space, if that makes sense. So, right, yeah, 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 okay. I like, I prefer not having to deal with much stuff. Yeah. And, but that's not my feelings on stuff in general. Like, everyone loves stuff. Like, the stuff you like, the stuff that suits your needs and tells the world who you are, like, everyone everyone loves that. Everyone well, goes for that. I know, But I know people who don't like things. They I mean, want to own as few things as is humanely possible. Well, that that is me, but again, but that's not through not liking stuff. And again, like mm. when I, whenever, like if I talk about, say, dieting or like intermittent fasting or something like that, yeah, people are like, oh, you, um, oh, you're not that fond of food or something. It's like, no, no, I love food. That's the problem. That's like, why I have, I have to skip a meal every day. Restrictions, <laughs> yeah, 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 because I'm an all or nothing because I love food so much. So same so, with stuff. So you are, yeah, and so I suppose this is the thing once you kind of i get the comic book collecting thing because i Mm. collect 
It's so many things. You know what? It, you know what it is, and I'm breaking it down in a way that just sounds bad, but it is just the dopamine rush of buying a thing. That is it. Yeah. It's, look at this new thing I've just bought. It's and I, mine now. And I think I think that's one of the things that drives comic book sales because whilst they are rel- so whilst they're relatively very expensive for what they are, they are an inexpensive item that a lot of people can afford to buy one or two of a month. Yeah, you can treat yourself to one for sure. But Yeah, you're not buying multiple volumes a month. Well, this is what I'm saying. Is like, what shocks me is the idea that there's people who are like, I read a lot of comics, but I can only buy them physically each month. Yeah, I mean, long boxes for days. Exactly. And that's what you, that's where you get in the space from. Like, in this, in this economy? Like, you're yeah, doing yeah, this? Yeah, like, you can afford to have a space big enough. And I think the thing is, they're one of those things that they are a medium that has been shown to accrue value. Old comic books Rarely. are old comic books can be worth a lot of money. They can, and I, I can, I can go into this in a lot more detail. But I feel like you're, you're going a point, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. But they're also made to be disposable, and as such, they are incredibly fragile. Like comic yeah. books are printed on cheap paper; they do not have. I think that's covers. changed in recent years because of the inherent collectability. Tr- yeah. So there's a whole thing which I don't know if this is worth maybe saving for a barely, barely literate, like yeah. as a comic book topic, but I can, I can talk about this quite a bit. That so those comics that were originally rare, they're like anything, like you know Star Wars collectible toys, like things like that they were mass produced and then ruined by children not only that but they were mass produced in a time when they were first mass produced they were cheap and no one gave a shit yeah and then years later suddenly people gave a shit so they were mass produced but because they were mass produced no one held on to them yeah but there's enough out there that they are have accrued value because people think they can get it it's always the way with vintage toys isn't it people everyone has a story of the original woody doll or yeah. huge box of pokemon cards they gave away at a garage sale yeah. for 10 pence that would now be worth a grand yeah you know? exactly so the problem with that and again i'm so on the fence whether i should save this for like barely literate but oh, we're into it now. yeah so what happened was when those are first so those original ones became rare and worth a lot of money so your, your action comics number one your detective comics number one um first appearance spider-man whatever when those become when those suddenly became not suddenly when those were established to be worth a lot um and people were aware of that this thing when the mass when the mass people became aware of that suddenly you had volumes being released so marvel dc well established a, a, a series will run and then it'll stop and then a new series will start and it'll just go number one again. But yeah. it's it's issue number one again. When those happened and people were aware that those number ones from the bloody 40s and 50s were worth a lot of money, people start buying those number ones in in uh, bulk because they think these are going to be worth, even if they're not worth as much as, they were at least smart enough to be like, well, it's not going to be worth bat num- number one money from you know the 50s. But if I buy, if they're worth a little bit, and I buy a bunch now, then uh, they'll be worth. A, then they'll be worth something. I could sell them on in ten years. The problem was that artificially inflated the comic book market. Yeah. So comic, though DC and Marvel and whoever else were looking at these numbers, going, "Bloody hell, these number ones sell really well. Like we should reboot them more often." 
and not only will be will we reboot them, but we'll also uh, do multi covers, the yeah, different covers, um, variant covers, exactly. And one's a hologram start uh, cover, and you know, one's a special edition with bloody he's got a cowboy, it's Malibu Stacy with a hat, you know, that kind of thing. Problem was, they put all that money into that. Suddenly, people are like you know, I bought these comics, these number ones, they ain't worth nothing. Uh, yeah, they're not accruing value. And then they flood the market with them. Well, not even that. They yeah, the Marvel DC flooded the market. Like these are really popular. No one buys them. Yeah, but then the people who have this big stash of them flood the secondary market. Yeah, they're not worth and anything. Suddenly, they're in abundance and they're not worth anything. Pokemon and, cards. I'll say, I just Pokemon quickly, cards, that also almost crashed the comic book market. Oh, DC right. and Marvel almost went bankrupt because of this they because of so much money yeah and that's also what led to marvel selling their film rights to some of their most important characters which mm. led to the spider-man x-men films and then when they created marvel studios and they wanted to make their own films they'd already sold the rest of their biggest characters so what you're telling me is we have nerds bulk buying comic books to blame for spider-man not being in the mcu until he was and just the creation of the mcu as it is and the event the avengers in the in their current form yeah so pokemon cards yeah well did i tell you that pokemon the pokemon tcg kind of made an attempt to crash their own secondary market recently that's it was so intentionally crashing is well yeah so the the hobby came the hobby became really popular during the pandemic and people were because of pokemon go no, I think it was honestly just sad millennials who wanted to feel something and they bought a pack of Pokemon cards from the internet, opened them and went, wow, I liked this in the 90s and I still like it now. Mm, nostalgic dopamine. Yeah, and I'm fucking right there with <laughs> yeah, them. I was going to say, we're not, we're not judging. We're just calling I did it what it, it is. And, yeah. I, and I'm looking at a huge stack of binders of Pokemon cards. Got binders full of cards. Yeah, um, but... What happened was that they would release these really cool products and people would scalp them. And a week before release day, a week before release day, people would buy up all the pre-orders and then advertise them on the secondary market for three times as much as they were worth. Sounds like a uh, Ticketmaster, what's going exactly on with that? Exactly the same, yeah. But this was happening before release day. So at the average consumer wasn't getting a look in at the product. And so Pokemon released a Charizard UPC box, which is an ultra ultra premium collection box, like £120 worth of product, right? A lot of money to spend on cardboard. They released it, did their initial run, right? Right. Let everybody buy their pre-orders, shipped the pre-orders. So all of these people, while their pre-orders were in transit, they then announced that they were doing an unlimited print run of it. <laughs> and so all of these people, uh, right, had like thousands of pounds worth of product they were hoarding. And suddenly it was only worth what they'd paid for it. And they were all, and, and honestly, I saw about a hundred resellers within, between here and London, all trying to sell these Charizard boxes for less than retail because they just wanted them off their hands. You know, it was magical, Ryan. It made my day. It was so good. I'm imagining, I think this is a similar thing that I can empathize, like the reaction to. It's like the people in the pandemic who bought up all the toilet roll. Yeah. And then were like, can I return these 10 crates of toilet roll? And they were like, no, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> fuck you with your pilfered yeah, toilet exactly. roll. So good. That was yeah. that. You know, I imagine that's the similar feeling yeah. of like, you get what you deserve. Kind yeah, of thing. absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, the comic book we're talking about. I was about to, yeah. 
I mean, it wouldn't be comic lyric without tangents. No, and this has been a fun tangent. And I need those because when I write an episode description, I write like, this week, Ryan and Jamie do a deep dive into something's killing the children. But then I also feel I, I feel I should add something else. So what I add afterwards is the, they also talk about, and, yeah. and this week it'll be, and comic book markets and the Pokemon markets. And, you know, like, it'll be like that. I feel like there is enough of a crossover. There will be enough of a crossover between people who read comic books and people who are interested in the value of things on secondary markets. Oh, for sure, yeah. That it wasn't a waste of anybody's time. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, like, I acknowledge I wasted more of people's time talking about wrestling for as long as I did than, than uh, talking about comic books and Pokemon cards. Like, that's yeah. that's much closer a thing. Where did we even get to talking about the book? Uh, the pa- like panel age la- pan- panels and page layouts. Yeah, so should, like, I feel like we haven't mentioned the pr- the... Yeah, let's get into the characters, yeah. Yeah, like, let's chew into it. So, one thing I was going to say earlier about the references, the obvious references of this, you point out Stranger Things, which I missed completely. But Did the, you? Well, the reason is, is because what I drawn to, I was looking at the... So, it has the Stranger Things element. What I was looking at was the child or young person who is suddenly shown the, the reality they know is a lie, and there's a, this whole nother world... And they're shown it by someone who's experienced in it and will kind of show them the way. Are you thinking of The Matrix? That's one of them. I was also thinking Harry Potter or yeah. and Men in Black. Yeah. So yeah, that yeah. is that's the trope I saw. I went, that's quite a common trope. But I think they do subvert it enough as you go along. So it's not just a, you're going to be my new apprentice slash partner slash you're the chosen one. It's very much a um, Machiavellian you are useful to me in this moment kind of attitude. And it knowingly plays with that trope. Exactly. And that's why, <laughs> that's what the, why I thought was a good subversion of it. The other trope was, um, I didn't know, I did think of a second trope, but I couldn't think of like a comparison for it. Um, oh, it was the believing, it was the believing in the monsters makes them real kind of thing. But I couldn't think of enough like references for that. But there's there's been that in some things. But I suppose it goes back to what I said earlier, which is that, sense of childlike wonder and belief yeah see peter pan yeah yeah. you know you could go all the way back to disney and the idea that the children believing in something makes it real mary poppins to a degree there was um a horror film i i thought of and i could not for life remember the title or enough of it to look it up like you know when there's a film that you just remember a bit of the plot but there this was no significant GBT. Well, exactly. <laughs> there was no significant enough actors that I could be yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, that Brad Pitt film, or whatever. So, but there was a film where a woman thinks she's going crazy, and there might be like some weird magic voodoo something going on. Um, I can't remember the ending, but a part of the ending I remember is it turns out that the there is some people who are faking this voodoo magic because if she believes it then it'll work on her. So they need her to believe that it will happen, that it's possible, you know, something magical or, you know, uh, voodoo, weird, whatever is happening. And then when mm. they do the actual spell, it works on her because she believes it. Whereas right, if she yeah, never yeah. believed it, so that's what I got from this kind of like, oh, you believed in the monsters so you could see them kind of thing. Isn't that a fascinating idea, though, considering that that's how actual magic works? Not actual magic, but like, are if you think something's magic it might as well be magic is that what you mean yeah like 
the way that magic works is that there's an agreement between the audience and the magician that the magic is real and that the magic is working. Like, yeah, sure. It's it's the exact same conditions under which like stage hypnotists like Darren Brown used to make their things work. And so it's it's something that we can see happening in the real world that creeps into fiction. It's like if you believe in magic, magic is real. Yeah. I think the explicit tool of it here is to make the children's problem a children's problem and the mm, the adults yeah. couldn't even help if they wanted to and it taps into that fear of a child where like you know child's trying to sleep in their room and they think there's a monster in the cupboard and the adult can come in and go look i've opened the i've turned on the lights i've opened the cupboard there's nothing there there's nothing under the bed whatever do as they leave and everything closes again light goes off scared again and mike mike wazowski pops out of your cupboard hey kid what's going on uh, <laughs> yeah we're gonna... <laughs> <laughs> That's my white, my uh, Nathan Lane. Was it Nathan Lane who did? Oh, I don't know. I think it was Nathan Lane. The other one, um, John Goodman. John Goodman as Sully. Yeah. John Goodman, man. I can't do a John Goodman. I thought about a John Goodman impression. I was like, uh, the only one I could think of is um, the big Lebowski. Well, I was about to say, imagine if Mike... Am I the only one who listens to the fucking rules around here? <laughs> yeah, that kind of... But that was a very unique part that he did. Imagine if Mike Wazowski was in the big Lebowski. I mean, that it's, it's pretty close to uh, the kind of across like the dude and the Bashemi character, kind of. Oh, fuck. A little bit. That's, that's ruined the Big Lebowski for me. <laughs> Which also should be the Big Lebowski. Ah, uh, the B O W, isn't it? Lebowski? Yeah, O W is Ofshki. But is it B O W is Bow? Like the word Bow. So when you read it like that, Lebowski? Well, no, because Lebowski is an Eastern European name. Right. And. But if you butcher like a Westerner, as we do... Well, this is it, yeah, that's why it's been the Big Lebowski. You go, you some kind of Lebowski? (laughs) (laughs) No, the Suicide Squad cannot be the new running joke and replace Alan Moore. I I will not allow it to happen. It might happen alongside it. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it's it's just going to (laughs) happen, whether we like it or not. But yeah, there's definitely um, the the divide between the children and the adults is what makes it even scarier when shit is happening to the kids. Because it's not like anything else... Don't worry, the adults will save us. It's like the adults can't even fucking see the monsters. Like, yeah, well, I was about to say we haven't mentioned yet. The grown-ups can't see the monsters. Yes, um, the only there are two adult characters in the whole thing, or three, who can. Um, one of the two of them being the monster hunters, and the other one being Tommy, who is imbued with that skill by one of the monster hunters. Yes, uh, we're well into spoilers now. If you if you haven't guessed yet, so if you wanna read it spoiler free, stop now and get into. I it. mean, we're an hour and a half in. We yeah, need exactly. to Start talking about the comic at some point. I just respect the audience member, and I wanna you know give them the best possible option to get out before the spoilers. Mainly because I've I had I've had things spoiled for me in the past, and I fucking hate it. So that's yeah, you're much more sensitive to spoilers than me, aren't you? Because I I'm, don't give a fuck. Well, what. I think what it is, well, I mean, generally spoilers in general, like I've had films spoiled for me. I'm like, well, I'm not, I, and I'm very aware I'm never going to have that experience of not knowing the ending, you know, yeah. the true experience. But also, coming back to again, being a wrestling fan, if you know the ending of the match, then that takes away the element of watching a wrestling match and being like, oh, one, uh, the story is who's going to win, you know, what's the end result going to be? And it's the same thing. It's so interesting because I kind of think that Something that sets really great fiction apart for apart for me is that it can still make me feel the way I felt the first time I read it, the second time I read it. But you're never truly going to have that because you're always going to, if you know the ending, if you know the ending, then you are going to have that in mind when you read it again. You can 
try and get back to those points, especially if it grips you again. You can be in the moment as you're reading it. But I think you're always going to be like, that person's going to do that later because, you know, because you know from the first time. Yeah, and and I suppose what you're saying is that... It's like that phrase, you can never truly go home. Because it's... <laughs> that's, was that too depressing? Oh, that hurt. <laughs> right in the right in the fields right in the childhood right in the childhood no yeah no i suppose what you're saying is that the experience of consuming a piece of media for the first time is unique yes and that doesn't detract from the value of rewatching or rereading but you want to have that experience completely unadulterated you only get it once and if you spoil for you it's gone forever you never get it so you only you can only ever get it once and you yeah. might not even get it that if it's spoiled for you yeah, I suppose I've never really looked at it that way. Is this mean um, you're more on board for non-spoiler than spoiler parts of the episodes? Um, maybe my my position on spoilers may be evolving. I'll I'll ch- I'll keep challenging you to see if you can recommend it without and you know explain why the story is good. Why is it's my least favorite part <laughs> of the podcast? Be like a challenge. Yeah, no, and then I'll attempt. I'll you give me a voice and I'll do the blurb and whatever the voice is. Oh yeah. So yeah, we've got we both win win. So it's all good. Um. Uh, the, what are you gonna say? No, go for it. I would say the main character, uh, named Erica Slaughter. Erica Slaughter. We we don't still know yet if it's a real name or not. Um, there's a bit of lore going into it where there's a the the Slaughter name does mean something, but we yeah. don't know if it's her specific name or not. To be clear, as as of the date of recording, the comic book is thirty issues in. We read ten issues. Yes, we're issue ten. Yeah, so um, so we're we're kind of a third of the way through what exists right now. We know we're starting to see at this point some of Erica's Erica's backstory come through, aren't we? Yeah, and the larger world and backstory as well. I think they've dripped it through slowly enough in a good way. It doesn't feel like we know everything yet, mm. but we know enough to know what the stakes are and why she's doing what she's doing. The uh, the second tr- another trope I was thinking of was the mysterious stranger comes to town. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. And in in fantastical elements, there's always that you know they are part of the thing which is now yeah. happening to the town, but you don't know exactly how they're related. Kind of reminds me of Ramona Flowers in a sense. She has that same kind of jaded, mirthless, um, not rigidity, but like single mindedness. Yeah, but whereas Ramona Flowers was a bit of like, yeah, I'm a bit bored with town and dating and boys and stuff. Erica's like, I'm sick of these kids dying around me. And me oh not yeah, being no, able it's to... a lot more serious. Yeah. But in terms of the way they're characterized, it's quite similar, isn't it? Yeah, and to be fair with that, I think you'd think that's an element of women just suddenly, finally being written with a bit more personality. Yeah, and maybe. Then, and that's just like in comparison to all female, not all, but like a lot of female characters pre Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, I mean, fucking hell, reading uh, Alan Moore's depiction of Wonder Woman in the 80s. Oof. I mean, you know, well, the Wonder Woman character was started on a BDSM fantasy, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, we're just, we're just going to not talk about yeah. that. I mean, the whip is obvious, but but yeah, the the stranger comes to town and knows, obviously knows what's going on, but is very flippant with everyone she's obviously she knows the ropes of this situation because she's been through it so many times yeah and that comes through quite smartly in the dialogue because not only is she like yeah i know kids are dying this is a terrible situation she's very understanding but in a very um 
efficiently fast way. She's yeah. like, I know you're suffering right now, but I need you to help me with this. I know you know you're not gonna want to because you don't know why I'm here, but I need you to trust me. You're you're desperate. Things are gonna get worse. Just help me out. You There's know? this great scene in the police station after she's been arrested where she takes she's she's been arrested, she's being questioned, she takes control of the situation in a really great way. And then she says, Which kid died first? And he says, Well, I'm questioning you, you're not questioning me. And she says, Which kid died first? In a minute, you're going to get a call and you're going to release me. And I'm going to be able to do my job more effectively if you tell me which kid died first. And it really plays into her character, that conversation, doesn't it? It's, yeah. it's, it's the moment where I saw her most fully, I think, in those first few issues. Yeah. And, you know, two things. One, that reference. I'm pretty sure that was a reference to uh, Lord of War, the Nick Cage film. You oh, really? So at the end of that film, so Nick Cage plays a based on a real life um arms dealer he gets right. captured by the um i think it's international uh, the dea or something like that but like an international version of that drug for gun Interpol. smuggling something like that yeah um and he gets caught and they're like the guy has been the fbi whoever it is agent has been chasing him the entire film it's like i finally got you like i fucking finally got you we're gonna put you away and nick cage is just kind of like so here's what's gonna happen you're about to see a you're a knock on the door. And it's going to be your supervisor, and he's going to thank you for your service and your incredible work, and you're going to get promotion and everything. But he's also going to say that ultimately I'm to be released. You're going to kick off about it. You're going to be kick and moan. You're even going to threaten to quit. Yeah. But ultimately, you are going to learn that nothing you do is going to affect whether I stay here or not, mm. and I'm going to walk out of here. And then at the, when he says all that then the knock on the door happens and it just cuts to him being out right stuff yeah exactly and that's what reminded me of that was like here's what's going to happen kind of thing what i also appreciated especially was as again she was understanding of the sheriff's position and the yeah what the entire dialogue got across was that the sheriff was surprisingly understanding and open-minded of not only this part where this woman is just like hey i need you to trust me but also later when he's like so look, is it is it aliens or something? And the kid's like, no, it's monsters. And he's like, ah. <laughs> like Dracula. <laughs> but it, I think it did a really good job of portraying. He is surprisingly open minded for any a, a realistic person in this situation. But it also charts how he gets to a point where he just has no other option. Yeah, kids are dying. Literally, nothing else is working. These people seem to have a clue. Fucking believe whatever they say. Like that's he's kind of at the point. It's like. This sounds ridiculous, but I've literally got nothing else to work with. And he does the thing that I think a wise person would do in that position, which is I'm going to have somebody watch her, but I'm also not going to have them interfere with her. Yeah, very good. And really clever. But then clever on the story, it has a different character interfere for fair enough reasons. Yeah, because, absolutely. Because you know, a family member of one of the missing kids is like... Enter Tommy. Yeah. Now, Tommy's interesting to me because at the point we're at, I can... I, I'm, I, can see this quite fractured relationship with him and his mum and i get a sense that that relationship was fractured quite a while before the events that happened in the comic book transpired and we don't know what's gone on there yet and i'm really excited to find out what went on between tommy and his mum what has tommy done see i didn't infer that a specific thing happened but just the fracturing of the relationship from the child going missing and i think that's i've seen that in enough other fiction where um, a kid's gone missing and like a marriage breaks down after it. Yeah. A common, I say common one, biggest one I think remember for me was I played the David, David Gage, I think his name is, uh, the 
there was a PlayStation game, Heavy Rain, and it was yeah, about yeah. it was like choosing options as a child serial killer and all that. And that the character and that goes from like ideal happy family to and then he runs around a Malawampa going Nathan, Nathan. And if people who played that, they know exactly what that is. And then he goes from that to like gray, dreary, always raining, single, depressing um, apartment because obviously everything fell apart after the uh, kid died. Yeah. So I just assume it's that. Um, what makes you think that it's like a? Is do you think there's something else or something related to that's caused a rift? It's just because he is significantly older than his sibling, and he's living with his single mother, and they have they they they're not being entirely supportive of each other, and there's a bitterness, and so I'm just waiting to see what was going on in that relationship before the events that transpired yeah see i what made me think it it was just the, the child going missing and the mum has just gone from like parent of a missing child naturally to just completely hardened over and doesn't give a fuck now like about yeah. anything she's like hey we should put up flyers in case she's still out there but also she's probably dead and i don't give a fuck what anyone has to say at one point um she's going to identify they they find bodies in a cave and it's a lot of the kids that went missing and she goes in and the principal because they have to put them in the they have the to put them in the school because yeah. there's no other big enough they have to basically turn into a morgue which is pretty hor- horrifying in itself um the principal has to speak to these parents because they have to identify the kids and um this parent this mum goes through and he goes hey, we're going to go into this room and then whenever you're ready, we'll go interview the maids. And she goes, ooh, whenever I'm ready, that's uh, really um, courteous of you. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know what to say in response to that. And she goes, doesn't matter. Just show me, just take me through. She's sat there smoking her cigarette. Yeah. But you could tell she just, she doesn't give a fuck for completely understandable reasons. There's a line I particularly liked about, was his name Tommy, did you say? Yeah. There's a line I really liked that Erica used for him which is better than the usual misunderstanding, like someone ruins everything, but they're well-intentioned, but they, you thought he was going to stumble in and just completely ruin everything and people are going to die and he was going to be after. It's like, oh my God, I should have believed what she said about blah, blah, blah. I liked when she used the phrase, look, I need you to do this. You're an idiot, but you're being an idiot for good reasons, for good intentioned reasons. She understood that, like, he's not, she's not just angry at him for ruining things. She's like, That was a different character. Oh, okay. Was that, um, that was when police the officer? police officer turned up and took the other girl away. That was it. Yeah, yeah. But that, but she's had that attitude for the scene in the most. cave is where she's kind of, where, where she gives him the power to see the monsters. Yeah. And she's kind of like, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for this, but I can see that this is the only way to show you that I'm not the threat here. Yeah. And, and and it's that same attitude from her, isn't it? Where yeah. she's kind of, she goes in with one intention and then she's quite adaptable and she sees the only way out of a situation and goes, well, this is what has to happen. Yeah. But I also think she's so used to dealing with people that I think she's, it's, it, you can infer quite obviously she's been through this situation quite a number of times. And she's not human. You don't think? No. Really? Why yeah. can't? Why? So... When her, when the other monster hunter turns up, yeah, and he goes to fight a human, he goes to take a swing, and then afterwards she's kind of picking him up, and she goes, "Have you not fought with a human before?" Right, right. I didn't know if that I glossed over that. If that was meant to be more kind of a flippin' like, 
you know, earlier when I was like, we're two humans, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Because like, I think they're only using that phrase in relation to monsters. Oh, so do you think, oh, see, this is the thing. I, 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 kind of, I kind of took away from that that they're not human. So this, I think, is a very small um, sometimes problem with this level of, of exposition. So mm. sometimes you're going to get little confusions like this. But I think it's also a title where you keep reading. That's, it's going to be cleared up eventually anyway. Yeah. So it's not like you spend, you get to like issue 50 and you finish, you go, hang on, I was confused since issue six because they never, <laughs> you know, I think you are, you're, you'll work out. Like, and yeah, the way I inferred that was that they normally fight monsters. Right. And then like, hey, you're fighting a human now. Yeah, yeah no, it, that makes sense though, doesn't it? But I'd, I think if you'd kept reading or if you keep reading the title, I think you would, you'd get to a point where that that confusion wouldn't even yeah. remain and you would just be, you'd already be caught up later on anyway. How did you feel about the slow reveal that Octopus is actually a monster? <laughs> I thought the initial point when the octopus talks, I thought was great pacing. I yeah. thought it, it came at just the right moment where I went, holy shit. Like I had that little like, oh my God. And that was the pacing of the reveal. For reference, it's heavily implied that all of the slaughters have stuffed animals that have monster souls in them well they all have stuffed animals and then we see hers has a monster in them yeah. so we just you put you know two we and are, two well we don't because the chap who comes to help comes to check up on her we don't see his stuffed animal but when the head of the slaughters is talking they have a teddy bear in front of them yeah and she has a little sock octopus yeah who we later find out is probably evil and inhabited by the monster who killed her parents i thought you were gonna enjoy the spider-man pun more there oh the what tiny octopus no sock octopus oh right it was a sock octopus like doc said, ock if you said sock ock then i probably would have <sighs> damn it <laughs> or sock to octopus <laughs> or sock to sock tocto octavius <laughs> sot, so, socko octavius i thought i'd done a really good job there you I'm almost gonna, did. I'm going to sulk now. I'll give it a C. It would have been a D and then you pointed it out and I was like, yeah, I'll bump that up to a C. Oh, like, yeah, no, I'll I'll change the grade. I'll give you a higher grade. You get off my back. Yeah. <laughs> um, the art is is definitely its own interesting style. And I think the best part about the art is getting across the fear of, of characters. Like in the mm. moment, I think getting a, they look they look terrified and that makes you terrified for them. Yeah, um, I think that's just a requirement of this kind of. Um, it's nicely drawn, though, isn't it? Yeah, but the difference is like comparing, as we said, to last week. <laughs> if the characters in the ones ever looked terrified, I just didn't care. I think that's for two. I think I care in this thing for two reasons. One, the dialogue has made them very real, even yeah. if they're very short-lived characters, yeah. literally. And the other one is the art is so serious that when they're terrified, it makes me terrified for them or i empathize with their they look the genuinely aghast don't they exactly and especially when they're calling out for each other yeah and i think God, there is yeah. i think there's a bit of a cheat code that it's kids getting killed i think that that adds attention that you don't get another fiction without that as really easy to make that weighty <laughs> exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and the fact they show i think they're pretty well disciplined with only showing a bit of the violence near the beginning and I thought they were going to go quite a while without showing any more. Yeah. And then later they they ramp it back up again. But it's not. It's never gratuitous. It there's always one, serves the story. There's one bit I would argue. I mean, it always serves the story. But there's one part that I argue may be gratuitous, and Go that's on. it's in issue ten. 
I think it's the what when you see when you can't see the monster but you can see the kid in the parking lot yes yeah, exactly and okay. i think that might be a bit gratuitous because i don't know they they slice and stuff a lot but the fact that it was in the middle in front of everyone yeah like, it, it's a bit spectacle but again it's not for nothing it's it's if that happened in real life people would react how they yeah i don't think i don't think yeah i suppose a good gauge of it is if this was a real atrocity, would it be considered unseemly to show the footage of it on the news? Oh, and the sure. answer is fucking yes, it would. But then there's also dismemberments, which are like that, which I'm I less reacted to. There's a yeah. great, great part where the guy who comes to assist Erica is literally it's inferred really well that he's just causing a distraction to delay the monsters and he knows he's gonna die. I thought really subtly got across where you infer it. Mm. Um and he goes, as he's fighting, he goes, he goes, um, right, come on then. And his arm immediately gets chopped off. Not this quick. Yeah, he goes, ah, oh, not this quick. And I like that kind of like he prepared for that and then it happened. And it's just kind of like, oh, for fuck's sake. Like, and he's built up to be a real, real arsehole. Yes. For every panel he's in, he's really unlikable. And then he does the ultimate noble thing. And I think what's good is it gets across, we are going to be meeting these other characters later yeah. on this family. And he's basically got across like, I'm the least asshole of them. Yeah. Like, you hate me right now. I'm the best. And there's 10 others who are going to be all worse than me. I'm the errand boy that was sent. Yeah. And it, it it's definitely made me excited for reading the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to keep reading. Also, speaking of the art, uh, very small thing. I love the bandana look. I don't know why they wear bandanas but for some reason they have to put on that bandana it's with cool the, isn't it it's a cool look and i it doesn't yet serve a purpose but maybe maybe it will at some point but aesthetically it looks quite cool and it's interesting isn't it because they're a clandestine family that live in a big gothic house and so you would expect the imagery that goes around them to be a little bit neoclassical or victorian and then they have this aesthetic that is straight out of like a 1980s LA gang war. Yeah, 80s and 90s aesthetic kind of crossing yeah. over, isn't it? And it, it's a bandana folded in half and tied around the face with a big toothy mouth on the front of it, isn't it? And when you first see her, you're like, Jesus. Like, she looks like a badass, doesn't yeah. she? Like, what is that? But um, the, but like you were saying earlier with the uh, the reaction to the the child in the car park... I do think you were saying the reactions of the people or like how would it be in reaction in real life? I do think the reactions of people is very realistic because it's people just going, Jesus Christ, and then running around screaming. Yeah, disorder. Yeah. And it's it's a far cry away from like, well, that just happened or like, ooh, what a way to go. Or, you know, quippy reaction like that. Like it's literally, it feels like real families being like, oh my God, children are dying. Like- and then there's the other trope that we see, which is the child who is rendered a little bit expressionless and weird because of something horrific that's happened to him. Yeah, yeah. And that's um, Bami, Bame? Bat, Bay, Bani, Bane, something, yeah. We're both butchering her name. and I bet We've both forgotten the four-letter word. We can remember three of them, but we don't know what order they're in or yeah. how they're pronounced. But essentially... The survivor who is in the nest with the monster's baby. Yeah. And I think there's this, like, really interesting, like, Stockholm thing going on there. Yeah. And to be fair as well, in a similar vein, the reveal 
that the monster who's been killing everyone has had babies. The reveal of the babies immediately gets across that the monster, one, that there's another threat, and that's just like an escalation yeah. of this kind of fantastical monster genre. Mm. But the, the kid, the kid who's discovered, put paints in a way of like, they're just trying to fend for themselves and get food and stuff. And you can tell very quickly, it's not a, these are evil things. It's, Erica's very quickly like, yeah, they, they feed off people to get stronger, but people will die if we let them, so we can't let them. Like, it's, yeah. it feels as almost clinical as like, there's a tiger loose and we need to kill it because otherwise it's going to kill people. And we don't have like tranquilizers or nets. We just have guns. I th- yeah, I think it's, yeah, I mean, it's, the tiger was a really good analogy because it plays into the idea of predator and prey. Thank you. And it kind of breaks down that good evil dichotomy. Yeah. Because you're like, well, actually, this is just now these monsters aren't evil. They are just a predator looking for a food source. Yeah. We don't know yet. We know the monsters physically eat children. Yeah. We don't know why it's only children. So we're, we're only 10 issues in. Maybe this might beliefs we don't know why it's only children we don't know why only children believe in them without some additional magic help we don't know why children only can believe well i suppose the mind of a child can only believe we don't know why only people who believe in them can see them we don't know why that yet but they we have very very briefly in like a single panel established that we are at a point now Mm. where we're beginning to establish that they don't get any nourishment from people that can't see them which is why Erica was so keen to get Tommy and James somewhere safe. Yeah. Because the the other monster hunt, hunter guy was like... Use them as bait. Yeah, use them as bait. But also there was a panel where he says something like, oh, well, you know, they've, they've, they've only eaten... Uh, yeah, no, he says they're, they're going to start going in a frenzy and killing people that can't even see them. Yeah. Not the adults people who can't see them yeah. so there is a there is clearly a special correlation between you not you being a child but you being able to see them and then yeah. wanting to kill you and also if you're an adult you just don't believe shit without seeing it whereas children yeah. more likely they believe something's out there and that seems to be enough to get in the door of being killed by these things yeah. um i think there's a good distinction that erica makes when she's first talking to james and james says she's like what you know you saw it because you believed because you kids believed and the kids like yeah but i knew i know and knew then that monsters aren't real i said believing and knowing are two different things and i think that really summed up really well in that in when you are a scared child even a scared adult like people uh could be any agent scared of the dark yeah and that's because you know full well there's nothing in your house that's locked and whatever but in that moment when you're scared you you're only scared because you can't help but believe there's something yeah. there's a danger there so it doesn't matter what you know you ha- you can only be scared of something that you believe even fractionally in and that kind of made sense to me like the larger metaphor and the specific workings of this universe and the monsters and stuff yeah but uh i think we've pretty much covered most of the points the characters the setting yeah. the the everything and final verdict i would say this is a great title i maybe don't think we've hit Bearing in mind what we've read was the from the kind of 2019, 2020 version, it won the awards in like 21, 22. So we might not have hit the part that's become award-worthy yet, 
But yeah. if you tell me, even if I didn't know about the awards, if I read these 10 issues and went, it becomes award winning later on, I'd be like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it's great. And I'm I'm very much considering continuing reading it to see where it goes and see what it's like. I Yeah, no, I sincerely am going to keep reading it and I would mm. like to talk about it again at some point. We'll touch on, if we can get to, I mean, however far we can get in a week and then we'll touch on again. We've also got something else. We've got to do something else for next week as well. Do we want to decide here well, and now? Or I do mean, I do a normal thing and do it at the very last minute and then yeah. scramble to read it on the Monday? Yeah. So do you want to take us out? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we're doing opposite day today. So uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to this uh, wild and hectic version of the Comic Literary Podcast. If you didn't catch that at the top, is the Comic Literary Podcast, and this is an episode of that that you are listening to right now. But thank you for listening. We do appreciate it. We appreciate you spending your time with us, uh, if only for however long this gets edited down to, whether it be five minutes or five hours. We uh, appreciate you just, as I said, giving us your time, and hopefully we've informed you, firstly, but secretly, firstly, entertained you, because that's my thing. Yeah. Um, If you liked what you heard, then I do hope that you can find time to give us a review or leave us a review on wherever you get your podcast from, but the main ones that help us are Spotify, uh, Apple Music, and amazon podcasts that's quite the outro ryan it is quite the outro it's uh it's very ordered which uh seems to be the dividing line between our podcast personalities if you'd like to get in touch with the podcast you can also send us a little uh good old-fashioned email uh electronic mail for the older generation to uh comic literate at gmail.com uh if you want to send us if what your thoughts on the book were or if we've said something that you think it justifies telling us we should kill ourselves, I genuinely would love to hear all options. Wait a minute, are you bemoaning my distaste for structure? I'm not bemoaning, I'm saying we have different views on structure, and that's where we meet in the middle for this podcast. We also okay. have different views on the point of the podcast, because again, you prioritize yeah. <laughs> being informative, whereas I'm like, yeah, but make them laugh, you know? It's fun because in real life, I'm such a giggly mess. <laughs> yeah, but then that helps because I then try to be entertaining and I make you giggle and then that becomes the clip that goes on the shorts and the TikTok. <laughs> this is it, yeah. Also, we have shorts and TikTok. Hey! So if, if you want to check those out um, and at some point, I will be, some point soon, hopefully, I'll be releasing Comic Stand videos. Um, so there'll be my own personal dives into issues and issues with issues and general topics um, I suspect that we'll probably end up getting listeners through the videos first because the YouTube algorithm is a lot better for getting new viewers and listeners than the podcast algorithms, for which is basically non-existent, if I'm if I'm correct. You maybe get put in a chart or something, depending on what category you list your podcast as, but I don't think that really helps at all. Not like the YouTube algorithm, which today remains a mystery. Um, it's like Bigfoot maybe it exists maybe it doesn't uh i know elon musk released the twitter algorithm recently and people had a lot of issues with it and maybe he shouldn't have released it like he did but that's a whole other issue speaking of issues thank you for joining us as we read the, this issues read it read it read read those issues sorry my adhd kicked in and i zoned out <laughs> i mean that's just you normally anyway <laughs> goodbye and thank you for listening and subscribe and whatever leave a review subscribe if you can tell your friends and goodbye thank you <laughs>